Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Good evening church. What a blessing to be back. We carry on in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16. You'll find we going through the entire chapter. But it sort of consists of two acts. Act 1, the humble beginnings of David, David is anointed. Act 2, the tragic ending of King Saul. It says spirit of God came upon David and act 2 begins with the spirit of God departing from Saul. Let's read it. Let's read it. 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, "How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons." And Samuel said, "How can I go?" If Saul hears it he will kill me and the Lord said take a heifer with you and say I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem the elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said do you come peaceably And he said, "Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice." And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, "Surely the Lord's anointed is before him." But the Lord said to Samuel, "Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him." For the Lord sees not as man sees man looks on the outward appearance but the Lord looks on the heart Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel and he said neither has the Lord chosen this one Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said neither has the Lord chosen this one and Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel and Samuel said to Jesse the Lord has not chosen these Then Samuel said to Jesse, "Are all your sons here?" And he said, "There remains yet the youngest." But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, "Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here." And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, "Arise, anoint him, for this is he." Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. and the spirit of the lord rushed upon david from that day forward and samuel rose he rose up and went to rama that's the first half the second half david and saul's service now the spirit of the lord departed from saul and a harmful spirit of the lord tormented him and saul's servant said to him behold now a harmful spirit from god is tormenting you 
Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And, and Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul said to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Thus far in God's word, let us pray. Lord, this is indeed your word. It is hope unto us. It is truth unto us. This is life unto us. Use it in us today. Convict, comfort, encourage, even dare I ask it, Lord, save souls by your word this day. Constrain me, if it be that I've erred in preparation, Lord, I pray, constrain me, speak your word and your truth and it's alone. In your name I pray this. Amen. Here's a question. Here's a question. Who is the main character in this text? Who features the most? Who is pulling the strings? It's not a trick question. Even at a glance, looking at the first portion of tonight's passage, you see God is up to, some, is up to something. And so my first point, God has a plan. God has a plan, and he, his plan finds a grieving, little bit reluctant prophet. God instigates these events. He starts by probing Samuel to action. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? I struggled. I struggled to get past that, just that one verse. I wonder, I wonder what period of time passed between the end of chapter 15 and the first verse of chapter 16. How long did God give Samuel to grieve before probing him once more? To action. Was it a day? Was it a week? Was it a month? I wonder. The end of chapter 15, you'll remember last week, Mark shared with us, Samuel and Saul parted ways. They never saw each other again. They were close geographically. I think it was 15 kilometers, but they never saw each other again. I wonder 
Who was Samuel in Saul's eyes? This, this prophet who, whenever I need him to be there, he's not there. <laughs> this prophet who judges harshly what I do. This prophet who is hard to please, who's maybe stuck up. This prophet who has too many rules and never really has anything encouraging to say about me being king. Why can't he just leave me alone? Why does he always have to judge me and stick his prophetic nose in my kingly business? We don't know. We don't know. We speculate. But I wonder, I wonder what Saul thought of Samuel. I wonder if Saul knew that Samuel grieved him. Samuel grieved. God asks, how long will you grieve? Not why do you grieve? But how long? There's two groups of people that came to my mind who might wish this verse wasn't in the Bible. This idea of the prophet grieving for the rejected king. The heartless pastor, the heartless Bible study leader, the heartless disciple maker, the heartless heartless evangelist even. Those who don't see people but they see butts and chairs. They see more or less in the money bags. They don't care about your struggles. They don't even care what your name is. They don't care about your sin. If you fall, you are just another pawn who has fallen in a much bigger game and they look for someone else to take your space. But they are very unlikely, here's my point, they are very unlikely to grieve you. To the heartless pastor, this is just business. That's the one group of people. The other group of people, the casual churchgoer. He or she who wants to show up for an hour, tick a box, feel a little thrill, get a little spiritual shot in the arm, feel some good vibes. But don't you dare, don't you dare get involved in my life. Don't you dare expect me to change and be some sort of Jesus radical fanatic. Don't you dare grieve me. I'm here to tick a box. I don't want to matter to you. This is just business. You do your business, you do your preaching thing, and I'll do my business. I'll sit here for half an hour and then I'll leave. But Samuel grieved. Samuel grieved, and so it was more than business. If you know your Bible, Jeremiah grieved, Jesus grieved, they all grieved. (laughs) And so we ought to grieve because it is right to grieve because this is not business. Samuel grieved. But we do not grieve without end, nor do we use our grief and disappointment as an excuse to not get on with the work of God. And so I struggled to get past that first verse, Samuel grieved. But God tells Samuel to get, on with, to get on with it, so perhaps we should get on with it. Samuel must get on with it because God has a plan. We've been reading about Samuel 15, 16 chapters now. You would be hard-pressed to find in those chapters a verse where Samuel questioned God. 
Why? Why, God? God gives him direct instructions. Go, take your horn, fill it with oil. I, I, God, have provided for myself a king amongst the sons of Jesse. Samuel asks, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. Maybe that gives us a window into Saul's feelings about Samuel. And so it is a valid excuse. But maybe Samuel is also reluctant because he's still hurt by the last king he anointed. God, we've danced this dance before. You told me to anoint the last guy. I anointed him. Look how that turned out. What's the point of doing this all over again? But God said, go. God said, go, and God has a plan, and God's plan is more important than the prophet's grief or the prophet's excuses. And God's plan is not half-baked. God's plan is not hatched out of the blue, and God's plan is not a contingency plan. God has a plan, and verse 2, God has provided for his plan. We've known this plan for a while. Since chapter 13, there Saul lacks in disobedience. There Samuel tells him, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And here in verse one, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I, I God have provided for myself a king among his sons. I, I, the Lord, I have provided, provided for myself. I, am, I have seen to this matter of my own will and my own accord. I have provided for myself a king among his sons. In contrast to the chapters earlier, the people rejecting God and seeking a king to rule, rule them out of their own selfishness and pride, God sees to this matter himself. I will provide for myself a king among his sons. A sort of Sunday school idea of David is a man after God's own heart. And there's value in that. That is true. Then there's value in appreciating some of David's attributes. We find out in this passage he is handsome and ruddy, whatever ruddy means. (laughs) He has beautiful eyes. We find out he's a good musician. He's a good speaker. He has some leadership capability. He's undoubtedly gifted. He would tick most of the boxes, I'm sure, of some of the young ladies here this evening. (laughs) But the main character here is not David. It is God. I have provided for myself a king. I have provided for myself a king, anoint him, Anoint him who I declare to you, God says to Samuel. Here's a question for you. You can go home and think about this so I don't have to suffer sleepless nights alone. What is the difference between Saul and David? If you took the sum of David's life and the sum of Saul's life, what is the difference? Why is one seen as a bitter disappointment and why does the other get to be known as a man after God's own heart? 
The difference, we all know this, but it needs to be said, the difference is in sin. Both of them sinned. Both of them messed up badly in ways beyond any king, any anointed king should ever mess up. Add this also to the mix. Why does Jesus, our Jesus, the Christian Jesus, the son of God, why is he known as the son of David? Not Abraham, not Moses, not Elijah, or any of those, but David. Why would this divine, eternal being, the Son of God, attach himself to the name of a sinner, an adulterer, a murderer? That verse, the verse kept running through my mind this week, Romans 9, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. For all his giftedness, for all his giftedness, I am not convinced any of that contributed to David's anointing and his kingship. That was not why he was anointed. God perhaps gifted him because he was providing a king for himself. But there wasn't this sudden vacancy in the will of God, and so God looked around wondering to himself, who would make a good king? And then look, oh, here's this gifted, handsome 16-year-old, he's a good fit. He has the right sort of heart. Let's, let's give him a go. Let's give it to him. No, no, no. God provided for himself a shepherd boy whom he gifted unto kingship. A sinner, yes, but a sinner whom God chose. That's my theory. David, I loved. Saul, I hated. God provided. God has a plan. He has provided for his plan. And thirdly, in true godly fashion, his plan is a strange plan because God's ways are not our ways. And so Samuel goes. Samuel goes to make the sacrifice. He invites Jesse and his sons and the elders of the city come out to meet Samuel. Perhaps they have the last chapter in mind in that chapter. Samuel chopped a guy to pieces And they ask the question, Samuel, do you come in peace? Yes, I come in peace. And then Jesse and his sons turn up. The eldest, the eldest son walks up, the tallest, the strongest, the most capable. Perhaps Samuel was thinking who would be a suitable immediate replacement for Saul. So the eldest walks up. Surely this is the one, surely But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I, I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. His ways are not our ways. God has made his choice, but this is not his choice. Incidentally, the same word rejected, I have rejected him. Same word God uses for Saul in verse 1. I have rejected Saul. God has made his choice, but this, the eldest, is not his choice. And so the first one passes by. And the second one passes by. God has a plan. He has made his choice. He has provided for himself. But this is still not his choice. And then the third, and then the fourth, and then sooner rather than later, all seven had passed by. Neither has the Lord chosen these. 
Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent him and brought him in, and now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Of such little consequence was this boy. Away in the field, life just carries on without him. The prophet Samuel is in town, it does not matter. But this, this is he whom God has chosen. We will not sit down until he comes here. (laughs) That must have been a long wait. (laughs) It's going to be a while before someone gets to David, wherever he is in the wilderness. But wait, they must. See, the purpose of this sacrifice was to anoint a king. For specific sacrifices, the people participating would gather around and share a meal, a portion of the sacrifice. But they cannot share the meal until the process is complete. And the process will not be complete before the king arrives to be anointed. We will not sit down until he comes here. We cannot sit down and share in this meal until him who God has chosen is here. Stomachs grumbling, puzzled perhaps, jealous perhaps. The brothers and the father wait. We cannot finish this matter until the one who God has chosen arrives. And so David arrives. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. It's no mystery, if you read this, why in the next chapter when David meets with his brothers at the camp next to the battlefield, it's no mystery why they weren't very happy to see him. He was their king. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. David, David, this great king, this is the first time his name appears in Scripture. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him from that day forward. God has made his choice. It's an unexpected choice. It's a strange choice, at least from an external perspective. But God has provided for himself a king. That's act one. That is David's humble beginnings. God has a plan. Act two, Saul's tragic end. Calling it an end is perhaps slightly dramatic. This is chapter 16. Saul is still alive until chapter 31, where he dies in battle. battle. So there's still a long way to go, at least in Saul's life, and yet, and yet this is the end. It is over. It's over. There's no coming back. If there was any doubt in the phrasing, I have rejected Saul, it is made abundantly clear in this verse. Verse 14, now the spirit of God departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord 
tormented him. What does that even mean? We know it can't mean anything good. This is a fearful verse. Saul learned what it meant, not only to feel the absence of the Spirit of God, but further, he learned what it meant to be counted amongst the enemies of God and to be exposed to the darts of the enemies of God. The Spirit of God departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. As we, as we reach for understanding in this text, the danger is that we take New Testament, New Covenant, saved by the blood of Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit, and then we just jump into the Old Testament. And so we would conclude, God sent his Spirit upon Saul. You see that in chapter 10. It says that it rushed upon him and he prophesied. Saul sinned. God took away his Spirit from Saul. And then we can even add to the last part, God sends a harmful spirit. Therefore, let's conclude, I'm saved. God sends his spirit on me. I sin. God removes his spirit. And then I'm haunted and taunted for demons for the rest of, by demons for the rest of my life. <laughs> That's not what this verse is about. The key to understanding this verse is that it is not relating to salvation. Saul does not go from saved to unsaved in this verse. Why can this not be about salvation? Because Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Within the new covenant, the Spirit is a seal. It is a guarantee of our salvation once and for all. If we be saved, we are saved indeed. Our salvation is not blown about with the winds of uncertainty, nor is it rocked even by our own disobedience. And so if the Spirit be upon us and in us and through us, then it is in us once and for all. Of course, of course, we may fall into sin. Most certainly we will fall into sin. And of course, when we do, the experiential presence of God may feel far off. But that does not equate to this verse. The Spirit of God departed from Saul. And so it's not here speaking about the function of the Spirit with regards to salvation. It's not salvation. What is it then? It's speaking of the function of the Holy Spirit with regards to consecration. Consecration. It is no coincidence that one verse, David is anointed as king and the Holy Spirit rushes upon him. And the next verse, God's Spirit departs from Saul. God had consecrated, set aside, enabled Saul to fulfill a specific purpose as a king. Saul responded with disobedience and pride and sin, and so God took away his consecrating spirit. If you, if you, Saul, if you refuse obedience, if you, Saul, willfully go against what God has commanded, if you think your position as king is above the God who set you aside to be the king, then God will withdraw his spirit from you 
and you shall be king no longer. From this day on, Saul is king in position only. He bears a title in worldly terms, but in reality, God has set aside another to be king. God has consecrated another. God has anointed another. They can only be one king. Saul is rejected, and therefore the Spirit of God descends upon David, setting him aside as a king in the eyes of God. What of this harmful spirit that God sends? There's a distinction that needs to be made. The spirit of God departs. The spirit from God comes upon Saul. Of, from. If God be sovereign, he be sovereign over all. If God be sovereign, no spirit can lift a finger against any of his children or anyone else for that matter outside of his, allowing it. Job sets the scene well. God allows Satan to afflict Job. He allows it. It is still within his sovereignty, his rule. And though the powers of evil be malicious, God's sovereignty rules over them every time, keeping them in check, achieving nothing contrary to the sovereignty of God. What do we know about God's sovereignty? We know He works all things together for the good of those who love him. For I am sure of this, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So a harmful spirit, allowed by God, perhaps in judgment, comes upon Saul. It torments him. It disrupts his life. It dishevels him, perhaps. Visibly so. So much so that his servants take notice and they suggest a remedy. What is their remedy? Music. And so verse 17, So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. By some, by some divine irony, the two kings cross paths. The rejected king in whom God's spirit dwells no longer, unknowingly he invites the true king, into his courts. And the true king takes a turn at serving the rejected king. He comes bearing gifts. Verse 20, And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. Verse 21, And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. And Saul said to Jesse, saying, let the harmful spirit from God, let David, sorry, let David remain in my service for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lion, and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well and the harmful spirit departed from him. Divine irony. The rejected king, the 
king in name only is now dependent on the true king for peace. Without David, he is tormented. But when David plays the right tune, he feels refreshed. Here's a question. Is this, is this grace? Is, is this God's grace upon Saul that even in his, in his tormented state, God provided a way for Saul to feel some sort of relief? Is it grace? Perhaps. Perhaps. It says when David played his instrument, the troubling spirit left Saul. And yet at the same time, it is true, the spirit of God was still not upon Saul. Is it grace or is this some form of divine judgment? The Lord's spirit, the Holy Spirit, it departed from Saul. But he gets this little adrenaline rush, this little bit of pleasure when, we, when he hears the right tune played. This nice feeling of relief. And he walks away perhaps feeling like he had some sort of spiritual experience. But the Lord's spirit was still not upon him. Just yesterday, think of it, just yesterday we had 400, 500 people in here singing, lifting up their voices to God. If an unbeliever came and sat in those chairs, do you think they would feel nothing? Do you think they would be unmoved? Do you think the hairs at the back of their necks wouldn't stand up just a little bit? Do you think that wouldn't take even, even just a moment to ask themselves a question? Is this God all these people are singing to? Is he real? So close and yet so far. I remember a couple of years ago now in ministry, there was a young lady who joined us here a couple of times in church. Clearly an unbeliever, we had numerous conversations about Jesus. She didn't believe any of it. And I remember asking, asking her, why do you come? What value do you find in participating in the gathering of the saints when you do not believe what they believe? Why? Her response was this. Her words, not mine. She said she has two choices. She could go to the club, the party or whatever, and she could come home feeling dirty and empty and used and likely wake up with a headache the next day. Or she could come to church. She doesn't believe it. She doesn't understand it. And she doesn't understand why. Why these people at church obsess over Jesus. But sometimes there's a nice tune. Sometimes it feels like this is a, an appropriate spiritual experience. And then she goes home with just a little bit of peace. Feeling like she did something good today. Like she was in the right place. Or at the very least she was in the vicinity of goodness. Isn't it tragic how one can be so close and yet so far? That you could feel and experience some sort of Christian love and fellowship and yet miss God in the process. Saul got his musical therapy, the harmful spirit departed, but God's spirit remained absent. Be wary, be wary of spiritual thrills where God is absent. 
as we conclude, God, a more positive note, God has provided for himself a king. A couple of years, centuries after Samuel anointed David in Bethlehem, another king was provided. Most certainly a better king than Saul, but a better king even than David. This king wasn't a king after God's own heart. This king in his very existence is the very heart of God. Also in Bethlehem, in a little farmhouse, a little shelter with donkeys and all the rest of them, the king of kings was born for one purpose. For our sake, he knew sin for the sake of those who were sinners. The king of kings was born for one purpose. Jesus died the death that you and I deserved on that cross. Believer, this is your comfort. The king who God provided died for you. Unbeliever, I beg of you, do not go home with another spiritual thrill or frill. Go home knowing this. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you will be saved. God has provided a king to end all kings. You need no other unbeliever. This is your salvation. Jesus died for your sins. Let us pray. Lord, we... We do this as an expression of faith. Faith that your word be true and still even today, thousands of years after these events, still you talk to us. So Lord, I pray in the midst of, in the midst of it all, in the midst of my inadequacies, in the midst of sound not working as we want it to work, in the midst of it all, I pray may your word ring true in the ears of those who heard it. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.